Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Lios enchim anyevu. Greetings, everyone. May the Creator bless you all. And welcome to my podcast, The Good Do E Medicine Podcast. I'll be your host, Pete Rodriguez. Thank and you, Pete. Gracias. Can you please do us just a quick introduction and then we can start with the, uh, I guess, the episode? Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, my name is Sergio Avila. Uh, I am the son of Sergio Avila and Elsa Villegas. Um, and I am also the brother of Hector Avila. And I am the uh, happy uncle of Violeta and Valeria. It was Violeta's birthday yesterday. So oh, we're still birthday. celebrating her six, sweet 16th. Nice. And um, I was born in Mexico. I was born 50 years ago in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have lived here in Yaqui Odam territories for 19 years. Okay. Uh, and uh, in my professional background, I am a biologist. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am a wildlife biologist. I've uh, spent many years of my professional life looking for animals, studying animals, learning from animals. Um, and it's something I love. And I had the pleasure to grow up in Zacatecas, in central Mexico, where uh, I had the opportunity to enjoy the desert. Uh, I consider myself not as a tribe, but a person of the desert. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the desert has been my home forever. Um, and coming to Tucson was uh, uh, a great opportunity to learn to expand my life and uh, I first came here in 2004 mm-hmm. hired by the University of Arizona and since then I've had a, a long career in conservation environmental conservation science and yes. now I work in what we call outings or okay. nature excursions and adventures things like those all right thank you Sergio so that you work with Ex, the chair of I read it equity, uh-huh. exclusivity, diversity committee. Right? That was um, or is that something else? I was the chair of that, at an organization where I was a board member, mm, the board of directors okay. of the Society for Conservation Biology. The Society for Conservation Biology is a, 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 a group of scientists, um, and this is the North America chapter. So it is Canada and the United States. The Society for Conservation Biology is sort of a, a society, a scientific group of people uh, working to advance research and conservation. And as uh, it's coming more and more to light, it's a very white-oriented type of space. So for them learning about science uh, from different, different uh, people, traditional ecological knowledge, mm-hmm and different ways of learning and experiencing. So I became the, the first chair of the Equity and Inclusion Committee, which pushes the society to be more inclusive into their members and the type of knowledge that they acquire. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, there, we're, 
for the listeners listening, um, we are outdoors. You can hear mm-hmm. a lot of um, activity, so there'll be a lot of outdoors. You hear voices in the background, birds, but I love hearing nature. Yeah. You hear the birds. Sometimes you'll hear people or some those little gators driving by. So we are live here at Las, Malpi- Las Milpitas mm-hmm. in Tucson, but I love hearing the yeah the 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 audio like those birds we just hear right now yeah and uh, i think our listeners really appreciate that and they they kind of get like involved they get really in the stories but i really want to hear i know we can hear we can read your biography there's a lot of articles i'll share them in the in the show notes on the podcast and i think we're going to put this on youtube as well so i'll put all of those biography show notes um yeah, I'll put them in the show notes, your biography and things and things you've done. But I really want to hear about things that when you wake up in the morning and you just want to go, like, come here. Yes. Things you're really passionate about. I, I Personally, I want to hear your story. I know you work with Jaguars, mm-hmm. right? And I know there's a story I was reading about it, and I'd be like, this would be a perfect story <laughs> if you would, don't mind sharing. Absolutely not. Because I know you work with Jaguars mm-hmm. and in Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. And here. And yeah. here. Mm-hmm. I know we have, they even named one of our schools after one of the yep. Jaguars here in the Madera Canyon area. That's right. And they just like spotted another one. I know there's some in the Tohono O'odham yes. area. Yep. But those are kind of... I don't. They, I guess they keep them a little secretive, so they yep. won't be exposed to people, you know. But yeah, if you could share maybe that story, or if you have other stories you've had story. with <laughs> when you work with the Jaguars in yeah. Mexico, I really yeah. want to hear those. I think those yeah. that's going to be exciting. But well, um, the story, of course, connects my personal and professional life, mm-hmm. and as you know. Uh, in our personal life, we are also the product of generations of people. Um, so um, I didn't make myself, you know, I didn't go to school just by myself. I didn't get this passion just by myself, but mm-hmm. luckily um, inspired by my aunties, my grandmas, my uncles, my cousins who enjoyed nature, who enjoyed growing food outdoors, who enjoyed uh, cooking the food that they produced. and uh, so it's not only going to school and receiving a diploma, but it's also the life that you get to experience. Right. And quite honestly, that's why I wanted us to meet here, because then we experience a place too, right? Good We're idea. sitting under a, under a tree in the sunshine, listening to people work around. And I feel that it helps our brains mm-hmm. connect in a different way than if we were in a classroom or in a studio. In a studio, right? Yeah. Um, we can have the same conversation and possibly even emotions and ideas exactly. are different. I think, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I think that's the way I think I want to do the future recordings and maybe yeah. podcast. So this is yeah. a perfect start. Yeah. But thank you. So inspired by that, I yeah. mean, you don't know it when you're a kid, but there is something that attracts you that uh, that is a passion and so when i was a mm-hmm. when i was a kid growing up i wanted to be the type of scientist who studied animals who protected animals uh you know creating reserves or studying endangered species things that at least in the 70s and 80s i i read in encyclopedias in books mm-hmm. i visited zoos 
we didn't have the internet, so we didn't know a lot of other things going on. But um, that idea of the kind of like the National Geographic scientist that is exploring far out there um, to study an animal that many people don't know about. Yeah. And so in that case, I was always uh, thinking of cats, little cats, big cats. I used to have this recurring dream when I was a kid that there was an African lion in our backyard. Oh, wow. And my dream was that I would come and feed this lion and pet the mane and, you know. So I, I really feel cats were around my life all the time. And as I grew up, I uh, got more interested in science. My parents are scientists. Okay. My parents are medical doctors in Mexico. So I feel that they are my first role model. They are the first example to me of mm -hmm. seeing what it is to be a scientist, what it is to be a to have a scientific career. Uh, but honestly, it's also science as a way of making decisions in everyday life, you know. Um, uh, so, so it was kind of a, a different way of growing up in that sense. I studied the career of biology. Uh, I graduated with, a, with a, a studies in biology. Mm -hmm. And then I have postgraduate degree in uh, arid lands, in deserts. Okay. And I really wanted to work in studying jaguars. Jaguars are this big, big, large cat that is generally orange with black and mm -hmm. white uh, rosettes. Oh, that's what they're called. Rosettes. rosettes. Yeah, a lot of people say spots, but you know, if we if we think about spots, we're thinking more of a leopard, which okay. is a cat from Africa, uh -huh. and jaguar has rosettes, which is a cat from nice. this continent. They are very well known from the Amazon, from Central America, Southern Mexico, and they happen to also have occupied historically uh, what we know as Arizona or places in New Mexico, mm -hmm. Texas. Okay. As we know, you know, uh, animals don't see boundaries, they don't see borders. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I feel it's unfair to say they live in the U.S. Well, no, they live in the habitat that they like. And it happens right. to be in the U.S. I think it's, yeah. it's very important that we don't add human barriers to animals that don't have those barriers, you know? Correct. So I was lucky enough to first start with a study on mountain lions. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to school also in Baja California. Okay. So there I studied uh, mountain lions for a while. Wow. And then I was invited by one of my uh, advisors to work on jaguars in a place in the state south from Arizona in Sonora. Okay. Uh, in an area of the Aros and Yaqui River, uh, oh. let's say 150 miles south of the international, south of the Nogales, Agua Prieta uh -huh. area. And there I had the opportunity to live in a very remote uh, ranch. It was basically where the four-wheel drive road ended, and it was a very basic ranch house, no water, no electricity. Um, and I lived there with a crew of, of scientists who were studying jaguars nice. in the beginning of the 2000s. I joined that project in 2003. In fact, the month of March is the anniversary, the 28 year anniversary of the first time that we uh, capture a jaguar. So some of the goals of this study, because it was so unique to have jaguars. One of the things I've done that is breaking the scientists is I try to learn media communications oh, nice. because one of the things I realize is scientists don't know how to communicate to people. <laughs> scientists are really good at talking to scientists. And I include my parents on this. Like I, I tell my dad, you know, when you talk to patients, 
talk to them like they're a person. Don't say all these big words, big words. you know? Uh, and I have to say, I've learned a lot from him on that. So That's awesome. Uh, yeah, taking media communication. I love camera. I love to be on camera. I love to do interviews. I can tell. Uh, I can tell yeah. you're, you, you know, yeah. I usually have to coach. Yeah, I know. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. But you're, you know what you're doing. And, and it allows me to use my before. skill. My skill is talking. Perfect. Perfect. So you make my job easier. So I love it. I please love continue. It. Yeah. You're perfect. You know what? I got so many ideas now. So we're going to do, some, with we're gonna do some more other okay. stuff. Yep. After this interview. Uh, we'll and I like else. to say all of these skills that you can see, I can also do it in English and Spanish. So yeah. your audience. In fact, I've been invited to interviews, podcasts. Yeah where they ask me, hey, would you like to be part of this podcast? And I said, yes, but I have a request. Let's do it in Spanish. Mm. I'll translate it for you, but I want to help you expand your audience. Nice. And it's worked out okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so in this, uh, in this dream of a child who wants to be a biologist, who wants to be a scientist, who goes to college, mm -hmm. uh, who has role models, who are scientists, um, who has the privilege of being able to travel and get to know different people, I ended up in this place in Sonora, close to the town of Saguaripa, Sonora. Okay. Okay. And, and so there would be this this uh, this place where jaguars be, were being studied. So there's a couple ways to study these animals. Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of more typical ones are, are studies where you capture an animal and you put a radio collar or some sort of a transmitter that, yeah. that through, a, through a receiver, an antenna, you can tell the location of the mm -hmm. animals. And then by going to that location, you can plot a map, you can see where they move, you can mm -hmm. find what they eat, you can see if they have uh, mates, you can, you can learn a lot from those locations. Okay. But also, in the, the issue here is that it requires capturing an animal. So if we're talking about a dog, a coyote, if you're talking about a deer, it might be a little easier. But if you're talking about big cats, if you're talking about jaguars, mountain lions, lions, tigers, this job is very risky, okay. not only for the people doing it, but for the animal. Okay. You know, so I also did that more invasive type of research where we were setting up foothold snares, which were cables on the ground with mm -hmm. a lasso attached to the base of a tree along a trail. So if we found tracks of mm -hmm. the animals, we would set the foothold snares there and expect the animal to put their foot inside. There's a trigger that pulls the lasso and it closes oh, and captures okay. the hand. So in 2003, I worked in this project where we capture five mountain lions and two jaguars. Nice. And uh, the jaguars were the first jaguars to be captured in this northern end of their distribution. Because they've been captured in, in Chiapas, in Mexico, in, in, in the Maya territories, in, in the Amazon. But we didn't know very much in these more uh, arid areas. The northern, you know. Yeah, the northern jaguars. When I read or saw jaguars always thought of tropical exactly like jungle exactly what you read in the encyclopedia yep. like you see on what's that show kingdom wild kingdom yeah. and all those yeah yeah growing up and and that creates an idea that jaguars only exist in the tropics mm -hmm. right that's what i thought 
But at the same time, the mountains here in Arizona and Sonora, because of the big rivers there are, the Aros, the Yaqui, mm -hmm. uh, the Gila, um, the Santa Cruz, uh, those rivers historically created conditions for tropical animals to adapt up here. So for example, the coati, oh, the coati is I an animal that is from, the, is from the tropics and little by little has been moving north to these places that might offer a little bit of subtropical uh, weather. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the javelinas. The javelinas are tropical animals. Really? I didn't and know that. And little by little, they've been occupying more spaces farther north. Yeah. The wild pigs, right? Yes, I've seen pigs. them in the jungles. Exactly. Okay, they're adaptive. Exactly, they're adaptive. Okay. And so that's this very similar case with jaguars, with ocelots. Okay. And for that matter, many types of birds that we have in the region, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Yaqui River, the Yaqui territories mm -hmm. are one place where animals from the south meet animals from the north. And the best example is how bald eagles that migrate and come from the north, mm -hmm. from cold areas, might live in the same canyons where military macaws live. You know, those super colorful, big kind of parrot-like right. that the are macaws. known from the topics. Yeah. yeah. So in areas of the Yaqui territories in Sonora, these two birds meet each other. Wow. These two birds That's share amazing. space. Exactly. So imagine if that is the diversity of habitats and the diversity of birds, that means that the diversity of people and their rooting in mm -hmm. those places is very strong mm -hmm. you know cultures that have been there for millennia that are totally connected mm -hmm. with these climates with these species with this form of life right that's right. that's where we come from right, right. and so uh, again I, I i got to work in that project and we were doing both the capture of the animals and also using these called wildlife cameras or remote cameras, mm -hmm. which are cameras that you put on trails with a sensor that I've take a photograph those, uh, yeah. or a video. So a lot of that work. And also using other type of knowledge, like looking for tracks or sign of animals. Right. And this is also very millinery knowledge. This is not the Western science type of knowledge. This is uh, knowledge that many indigenous communities throughout the world have had mm -hmm. in order to know what they're hunting or what could be hunting them or what lives in the area. Um, when I graduated from college in 1987, I had the opportunity to live in the Tarahumara, in the Sierra Tarahumara in Chihuahua. Yes. I lived there for almost one year. I read about that. Yeah. And that was a life-changing experience because, you know, I graduated from college, I had my college degree, I had my new laptop, and I got to live in an indigenous community where, quite honestly, I didn't know a lot of things, right? Like having a college degree does not guarantee that you know everything in the world. And that one to me was another college degree. Living there, oh, learning from communities, nice. it's another type of degree, another type of experience. It's mm -hmm. learning under the trees and learning right. from people directly. Right. Um, so using in this Jaguar project, using scientific knowledge and traditional knowledge, we were able to map some of the corridors where these Jaguars live. And on March 30th, mm -hmm. we captured the, fir the first Jaguar in that project. It was a female. Um, and this female was a fierce animal that taught me so much in a few minutes. Um, by then, you know, I've read the books, I've read the journals, I read about science, 
I read uh, the publications about these animals, but nothing like having the first-hand life experience of seeing a jaguar, uh, eventually anesthetizing this jaguar and putting it to sleep, touching it, smelling it, um, really getting to know an animal wow. like that. But my reaction when I saw this jaguar, you know, um, we used to set these uh, snares along trails. Okay. And we used to walk these trails every day because every day you have to be checking your, your, mm. your, your traps. You cannot leave the animals there, so you need to be ready for the capture. So this one morning I'm walking down the trail, which was along a creek. And around the bend of the creek, I remember seeing that big bush kind of shaking. Um, and all of this, you know, goes in a few seconds. So I can tell you the story in a half hour and I might be telling you 10 seconds of my life, you know. So this bush is kind of moving and I didn't put it together. So I get a little closer and all that I see from the side of the bush is clouds of dust coming to the air, clouds of dust. And I'm, I'm thinking something is there, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I keep walking towards it and I finally go around the bend and I hear this roaring, and with the roaring, oh the thing that I saw was another cloud of dust. So I could see the movement in the tree. I could see, I could hear the noise and I can see this dust. And I finally focused on a rock on the side of the, the, the bush yeah. and there was a jaguar there. I remember it was very shady on their big trees in this creek. And so when the jaguar first moved, I was able to see some colors, uh -huh. but it was so shady. I actually thought I was looking at a black jaguar, oh. which is what a lot of people uh, think about when they think about jaguars. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. They are very common in zoos, in, in mm -hmm. videos, but they are not as common in the wild. And in fact, they don't happen north of the Panama Canal. Mm. Black jaguars is just a genetic modification where the hair of the jaguar turns black at the tip and that's what it makes them look black but when you have the sunlight or something you can still see the rosettes and you can still oh, see so you can that. still see some of them the other important thing about these rosettes is that the patterns are specific for every animal it's like it's like your your um like your thumbs you know like like your your uh like your finger yeah, the yeah fingerprints. fingerprints yeah so you can recognize individuals uh-huh by identifying the spots oh, uh, we get to see right. I've read we that get before. to see who they are yeah. and we get to name them we can mm -hmm. see if they've moved in different places mm -hmm. so i get to this bush the bush is moving clouds of dust are coming from the ground i hear a roar and that's where i stop and that's where i made eye contact with a jaguar that was on top of a rock ears back so if you know cats, you know ears back is bad news. Stay away. Stay away. It's, it's, it, 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 when you start speaking Were you language, by yourself? You know, I was by myself. And I was by myself Did you because... freeze? Absolutely. Absolutely, I froze. I know I've had that feeling where you see something and you're like frozen. Yeah. You can't move. Yes, yes. So the thing oh, that goodness. I could think of though is I put my backpack down uh -huh. and I pulled my camera and I remember shooting a couple photographs and even taking a few steps forward. So maybe I was from here to that trash can. Okay. Uh, what oh is my it? Goodness, that's 25 close. feet? Yeah. Uh, maybe 30 feet? 30 feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was that close and this cat continues to roar and continues to hit the ground in a way that 
it, it was the most impressive, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's the size, there's the noise, but this hitting of the ground was was like sending a message that visually keeps you away, just that. Yeah. So I take a couple photographs and in that moment, the Jaguar lounges at me. And again, this is just a few seconds, but as soon as the Jaguar lounges, I turned around and I started running. And you know, when you watch those TV shows, when you read those books, yeah. scientists always say, when you see a cat, don't turn around, look at the eyes, stay there, you know? Well, yeah, that's very comfortable knowledge when you're reading it in your home, right? When you're doing your homework for school, I know what to do. But when the real life experience happens, that's a different reaction, Fight right? Or flight. You're, you're exactly, running. exactly. Um, so I turned around and I started running, and immediately I realized, oh, I'm making a mistake. I shouldn't turn around. I shouldn't run. Mm -hmm. And then the next thought was, I am going to die. This is. I just. I made a few mistakes. I think I'm going to die. And when I thought I think I'm going to die, I remember this feeling of peace. And I remember specifically thinking, I might as well enjoy it. And I turned around thinking the Jaguar is going to be jumping just jumping. right on top of me like this, you know. Yeah. And when I turned around, the Jaguar was exactly in the same place on the rock, still being threatening, but did not move. Okay. And it was until that moment when I realized Oh, we captured this Jaguar. All of this other time, you, I never registered that this Jaguar was actually caught hot. in a snare. So it took me a few seconds. So when that happened, you know, I had, I had given up. I had given up my life. I had given up living, being a scientist, and I was just going to die in front of a Jaguar. But when I turned around and the Jaguar was still there, I felt this I had this feeling of I'm being given a new chance. I'm giving, I'm, I was given an opportunity to experience this. Yes, sometimes we have to experience things through fear, sadness, happiness, yes, right? Like yes. uh, um, uh, Life mourning. Life-changing experiences. Experiences and feelings, and we have to embrace those feelings. Yes, it's not definitely. always happy. So in that moment, as soon as I realized this Jaguar is captured, the, the scientist's brain kicks in and I'm like, oh, I, I have to grab the radio and go call the crew and we have to do the work that we have to do. Okay. But it was imprinted in me how much, well, understandably, how angry this Jaguar was. Mm -hmm. And the one, and it, and it left that impression that it helped me realize that as a scientist, our goal is to, quote unquote, protect, study, understand. Mm -hmm. But our goal is never to think about what that animal is feeling. And that animal was telling me, I'm not happy doing this, you know? Like, this might be your PhD thesis, you might write a big book, you might speak at a conference, you might become a very famous scientist, but I don't like what's going on here. Right. So we eventually, the crew came in, it was just another biologist and I, we used darts to put this jaguar to sleep. Mm -hmm. We released the leg from the snare and we checked the general health. So we put the cat on a tarp, we covered the eyes 
mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes they stay with their eyes open. This happens at the vet too. And so um, they become very uh, uh, sensitive to noises and to movement. So we cover the eyes. Uh, we try to measure the total length of the body, the circumference around the chest, the head. Mm -hmm. uh, we estimate age through looking at the teeth. We can see the gender. So we realize this is a female. And you could see that she had black nipples. Mm -hmm. When a mother cat has her first litter, nipples are still pink. But after the first litter, they mm -hmm. turn black. And I pinched a little bit and milk came out. Ooh. So we realized that this female could be lactating a cub right now. Yeah. And interestingly, we had heard some noises up on the hill on the side of the creek. Oh, and no. in that moment we connected, oh, there could be cubs really close. We need to hurry up and get out of here. Mm -hmm. So she woke up, we made sure that she was safe. We put the radio collar on. Um, and what you do in these cases is you stay relatively close to see that the animal is safe, that no other animals come to attack this one that is recovering. Mm -hmm. they, they act a little bit drunk. Mm -hmm. um, and then later in the day, you come and check with that antenna to hear the signal. And we realized the jaguar had already gone very far. The next day we went, the jaguar had it's moved gone. away. She was not in that place. So it was what you would call a successful capture. Okay. But it was a learning experience because two days later, on April 1st, we capture another jaguar. And, you know, we don't have cell phone reception in this place. So we cannot even share with our with our uh, with the investigator, with the researcher that, uh -huh. that had us in the crew. We cannot go tell them, hey, we captured a jaguar. We had to leave town and drive nine hours on a four wheel mm -hmm. drive road until we get to where we have signal to go tell them the good news. Oh my goodness. And that takes not only a lot of time, but it takes a lot of effort from the research because you have to go close at all the traps. You cannot leave the traps open if you're going to go back to town because it's risky for animals. It could be another jaguar or a lion, but it could be a cow. It mm -hmm. could be a deer. It could be a, you don't want to have to deal with a javelina in one of those, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a big learning experience. The second jaguar was a male. The second jaguar was captured. Actually, the, the, the traps were set around a dead horse. Oh. We knew this horse had died for natural reasons. Uh -huh. So we decided to put these remote cameras, these wildlife cameras around it uh -huh. and also snares. So we could see if anybody comes to eat from this horse. Five days later, a jaguar went and started feeding from this horse. And here's a piece of, of knowledge is that this told us that sometimes jaguars eat animals that are already dead. And I mention this because there's this belief that jaguars feed on cows all the time and they attack cows all the time. Mm -hmm. And while that is partly true, there's also cases where cows die for other reasons and jaguars would, will feed on them. Mm -hmm. But some people will think that it was jaguars who killed the cow. So it's, you know, again, this is not in the books. This is experience that you have to be out there to put it together and, and share. The male jaguar was a very difficult capture. It took a lot of anesthesia. It took a lot of darts. Uh, it took a lot of time. We, in fact, he was also fierce. He was also pushing and pulling on the snare. He was also doing the big clouds of dust. Oh. And he was powerful. He was uh, imposing. We used to have, Easy. just for protection in this field crew, we used to have grizzly bear spray. You know, people use this when they go uh -huh. hiking in the north. 
We used to have that spray and in one time I had to spray the cat because I was relatively close and it was coming to me. But also we needed the cat to stop moving so we could do the darts. Okay. We could shoot the darts. So, I mean, we got the spray in our faces. We were, our noses are running, we're sneezing. This is the pepper kind of spray. Yeah, imagine, yeah. imagine that it works for grizzly bears, oh my <laughs> right? Goodness. So again, the part of the reality of this work that you don't see on TV is what goes behind those great shots of capturing an animal or doing the mm -hmm. research, the science. But very sadly, this jaguar died after the capture. No. This jaguar, this male jaguar died after the capture. Very likely, it was 1st of uh, April. Very likely because it was an old jaguar. Mm -hmm. um, we think it was, it was relatively old and aging. That, that's why he was feeding on dead animals. But also, mm -hmm. I remember that day we reached 100 degrees at 11 in the morning down there. So imagine that you're a, you're a cardiac patient with heart problems and you are under stress in a capture with a lot of anesthesia in a very hot day. Oh, yeah. All many conditions were there for this jaguar to not make it. So sadly, we found this jaguar dead the next day, very close to the capture site. And that's where I learned something else. You know, I used to be the kid who for 30 years dreamed of being the researcher, the scientist, the, 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 the conservationist. And in that reality, reality I realized I never considered that my project could go on the wrong side where the animal I want to protect would die. I always only saw this, the positive side, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're going to write a great thesis and I'm going to get a PhD. Um, and it was the opposite side. And that to me really was a message of maybe this is not the best way to protect animals. If I really want to protect animals, why am I capturing them, giving mm -hmm. them such a bad experience? including risking their lives. I cannot justify that. There's other scientists who do it. They justify it. But I could not justify that. And that really made me change the perspective in my work. And I started using more of those non-invasive methods mm -hmm. instead of captures. I don't do captures anymore. I, it's not something I want to do again. And quite honestly, if I have the opportunity to talk to youth looking for experience and learning, I will say, that all sounds really exciting. Seeing a jaguar, capturing a jaguar, taking your photograph with a jaguar sounds exciting. But think about the jaguar. Think right. about the jaguar, you know? It's like if you're a doctor, think about your patient. If you're yeah. a dentist, think about your patient sitting on that chair with their mouth open and you're just doing this thing that you really want to do, yeah. you know? Uh, sometimes it's necessary, but if we can avoid it, I don't think it's necessary. And so much more learning came from that. Great story. Yeah, that's it's that's a life changing experience mm -hmm. story. Yeah. So, oh my goodness, I when you were telling the story, I was visualizing yeah. everything. So yeah. hopefully our listeners can see that as well. Oh man! So continuing, how I so you came after that experience, mm -hmm. you came over to the United States. Yeah. So change your passion perspective yeah. i guess um yeah i i've had that experience back like several years ago i mm -hmm. became vegan yeah it's also because of the animals mm -hmm. i didn't want to harm be part of that thing but that's 
that's another episode in my podcast. Yeah. But almost the same reason. And I, I want to say, I heard that episode animals. and I heard your reasons. Yeah. And I really enjoyed and respected how you didn't do that change just for one reason. You had health reasons, health reasons you had environmental diabetic. reasons, you had family reasons. Yeah. I actually just became vegetarian. I've been, I haven't, I haven't had meat in a few years now. Oh, yeah. And I really related to your experience on that. I did it for health, but also I don't want uh, to be part of an industry, industry that pushes so much hormones and tortures animals, animals for me to enjoy tacos, you know? Yeah, I can live without. I can live without the tacos because yeah. that means that I'm not participating uh, in an industry that honestly uh, it's more yeah. damageful. And it, it also has environmental consequences. It has humane consequences. All it has the consequences, health. yeah. So yeah, I relate yeah. to that. That's awesome. Love that. So Sergio, that's pretty intense. So let's talk about so let's move forward. Now you're at the Sonoran Desert Museum. Yeah. We chatted a little bit about that, but mm -hmm. I I know there's another life changing experience yeah. happened there and I really want to hear about that Absolutely. one as well. So maybe you could do a little bit of I guess context. How did you get there? How yeah. did you start working there? Were you did you apply? Yeah. Did you wanna be work there and at the it's right here, Sonora Desert Museum, if people don't understand. Well, maybe you could go into it. I'll share it. a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, because we have listeners from all over the U.S. Absolutely. and the world. Yeah. So, yeah, if you could tell us about So, that. after that Jaguar experience, mm -hmm. really, the, the field experience was so valuable uh, that conservation groups from the United States seek me out to come okay. to the States to study the jaguars they were seeing here. So in 1996, there was a sighting in the Babokibari Mountains in mm -hmm. Brown Canyon. Yeah. Same 1996, there was in the, Parag in the Peloncillo Mountains, which is a ridge that basically creates the line between New Mexico and Arizona. Okay. And it's, and it's, uh, it's bisected by the border. It, 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 the border touches this mountain. Mm -hmm. um, so I had such experience that different conservation groups wanted my experience here. And I started working in the Atascosa to Macacory area where Jaguars okay. had been seen there too. Mm -hmm. But I was only using the non-invasive technique. So my, my passion continued to be conservation of cats. And I came with this field experience. I learned from some other people here. We exchanged, actually, we exchanged knowledge because, again, right. my, a lot of my experience was from books, from conferences, from scientists, a little bit in the field. But I started learning from hunters, from lion hunters. Mm -hmm. I started learning from other type of managers. I started learning from ranchers because everybody has a little piece of knowledge. Yeah. And this is uh, another part of my, always my messages is like, not all, well, possibly all knowledge is in books, but not everybody gets to learn from books. Mm -hmm. So that experience in life brought me here. So I worked for 10 years at an organization called Sky Island Alliance. It is a group based in Tucson that uh, works in, the, in protecting what's called the Sky Island region. And the Sky Islands mm -hmm. are these mountains like Babo Kivari Mountain, like the Carolinas, uh, like the Paragonias, Huachucas, and many ranges uh, south of the border mm -hmm. that are called Sky Islands because they're like islands of forests surrounded by the desert. And um, 
I worked there for 10 years. I started what's known as the Mexican program. Now it's grown into almost becoming a new organization in Mexico. Uh, it's, it's expanded their work. But from that work, uh, I still had this, the dream of being this scientist and conservationist. So the opportunity came uh, to work at the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum mm -hmm. as a conservation scientist. To me, that was the pinnacle of my career. It's like, you're gonna have a role as a researcher. I will have dedicated uh, staff and resources uh, in this very old institution in Tucson, uh, at the time 60 years old, now it's about 70 years old. And the Desert Museum is a place here in Tucson, outside of the city, a few miles outside in the desert, that is the combination of a zoo, mm -hmm. our botanical garden, and a sort of environmental education center. Right. And it is dedicated specifically to the, to the species, plants and animals and, and cultures of the Southwest, of the, of the Sonoran Desert. Uh, and it has the mission to inspire people to live in harmony with nature. Mm -hmm. So with all this, as somebody who dreamed to become a scientist, all of this fits great, you know? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have this big office. I'm gonna have all this, <laughs> Uh, place, it, it's, it's great. I'm gonna go have this great job and I'm gonna continue my research. But it didn't take very long. I have to say this was around 2015. Okay. And uh, around 2016, a presidential campaign started. The, the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. And around that time, I also, after 12 years of be living in, in Arizona, mm -hmm. I became a U.S. citizen. And by becoming a U.S. citizen, I not only felt more empowered to speak up, but I also felt like I am part, I've been part of this community for many years. Um, my voice also matters, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned the presidential campaign because there was this candidate who said, uh, Mexicans uh, are bad people, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're narcos, they're violent, they're all these. He also said horrible things about women. He also mm -hmm. said horrible things about people of color. He also held green card holders in airports and didn't let them in. I used to be a green card holder and I know what process I had to go through. Mm -hmm. He represented insulting things to me as a person who's been paying taxes in this country for over a decade, you know? Mm -hmm. And additionally, he empowered people to really speak the racist voices. And I was feeling on the receiving end of a lot of that. Um, why I'm bringing this up is because part of the platform of this campaign was building the border wall. However, mm -hmm. And this is another show, but I will say the border wall did not start with this person. The border wall started in the 80s with a Democrat president, with, you know, with Bill Clinton. And so while the border wall has been going on for a long time, uh -huh. it was this presidential candidate who create, who made it a weapon for people to, for, to discriminate people. Mm -hmm. So when I worked at this famous institution with the mission to inspire people to live in harmony with the desert, an institution that uh, acknowledges that the Sonoran Desert uh, happens to be in part of two countries and the flags of the US and Mexico are flying outside of the museum. 
at the same time, I wanted to speak about that. I was contacted by the media several times, including national media, and people at the Desert Museum did not want me to talk about it. As they said, we don't want to be political. So while my life is at stake, you know, as a Mexican citizen, there's bad things are being said about me and people like me. Right. I'm not the only one. I, I, I feel like I'm part of a larger community. Things are being said about green card holders. Things are being said about my country, about being violent. I felt like I needed to say, uh, express, especially also on the environmental and social impacts of the border wall. Mm -hmm. And this institution did not allow me to speak about it. They did not want me to. But not only that, uh, there was one person in a position of power in this place that actually said one time, I don't want you to do more interviews because you're just attacking President Trump. So, so supporters of Trump with leadership roles at the Desert Museum, I started seeing a little bit of a trend, you know, uh, while I was the Jaguar researcher, everybody liked me, but when I was the person of color who's speaking against yes. policies that affect people, they did not they like, that. like that. And it became very evident, extreme, if it wasn't before, it became very evident that I was absolutely alone in that institution and that I was absolutely alone in the community of conservation. That as white people, people were very comfortable seeing all this oppression and they felt that they didn't need to be political because they care about butterflies or jaguars or climate change, but they did not care about people. Mm. And then, not only that, and then the summer comes where this president separates migrant families and puts children in cages. It was a summer and they were in cages at 100 degrees and the same year, at the same time, a jaguar, one of these jaguars we were talking about, was killed in Mexico uh -huh. and photographs on Facebook arose. And the conservation community here in Tucson was up in arms because somebody killed one jaguar and it's our jaguar and how they kill our jaguar. Right? You remember yeah. that? But, but that nothing. same community didn't say anything about brown kids being in cages. in cages. And I took that personal, you know? Yeah. I love jaguars. My passion are jaguars. I'm here because of jaguars, but I am those kids in cages. Yeah, right. I know where they come from. I know where they grew up. They are my cousins. They are my family. They are me. Mm -hmm. It's just, I had that privilege of having a different life, but I know who those kids are. I, mm -hmm. We can find related experiences in our lives, mm -hmm. in our families, you know? So I For connected sure. with them. So I felt even more abandoned by a conservation community and by an employer whose white leadership and lack of awareness in politics did not allow them to see humans. Mm -hmm. They just saw invaders. So I left the Desert Museum. And I will say, I grew up being, wanting to be a conservationist, wanting to be a scientist. Um, and this institution, the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum, is so credited, at least in Tucson, of inspiring kids to become a naturalist, to mm -hmm. become an environmentalist, to become a scientist. Well, I want to say the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum killed my passion for science, killed my passion for conservation, killed my passion for focusing on environmental issues because it made very evident that the definition of conservationist is 
a white person who is comfortable with the oppression of other people, very, very likely people of color, and in this case, indigenous people, mm -hmm. and are willing to dehumanize people in order to keep elevating jaguars uh, and, other, and other animals, which deserve it, uh, but not doing anything about it, you know? So when they say, oh, we're not political, what they are saying is they are political, mm -hmm. but their life is not at stake. You know, the executive director, the conservation director, the board of directors, if they say, oh, we don't want the museum to be political. What I hear is my life is not at stake, mm -hmm. so I don't need to do any changes. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that when a border wall is being built, when families are being separated, when black people are killed by the police, our lives are political and we need to raise our own voices in order to make that awareness and to connect the dots. And in my world of conservation, national parks and mm -hmm. protection of species, that also means that for many years, native people have been removed from their lands to create national parks like the Grand Canyon, like Yellowstone, like Yosemite, like Saguaro. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge that all of those lands called public lands are in fact stolen native lands. Correct. And what so many people call the national parks are America's best idea. I challenge that and I say, no, actually it's possible that the national parks are America's worst idea because so many different tribes, so many different communities lost their connection to land, to culture, to medicine, to food, to water, mm -hmm. to ceremony, to culture, right? right? And I connect with that. I might not be a tribal member. Um, the history in central Mexico is so far gone in terms of indigenous communities that I only have a suspicion of my roots, but I'm still indigenous. Yes, definitely. Right? I'm still indigenous and I'm still reconnecting with those roots and I'm still trying to learn about it. And so I could not play the double role of being a conservationist who is comfortable with just studying pretty animals and not care about people and at the same time trying to reconnect with my indigenous roots. So right. all these instances in less than three years, the Desert Museum killed my interest to be that scientist, to be that conservationist. And it made me realize that personally, my indigenous roots needed to, I needed to pay attention to that. I needed to cultivate that. Mm -hmm. And I needed to start using the privilege that I have to start speaking about it because many conservationists are not speaking about it. And so this is where we are today. <laughs> brings us today. It brings us to today. Well, I am so happy you brought that story. Yeah. I don't think um, that's the first time I'm hearing it. Well, obviously, but I don't think uh, I'm glad we have this platform where you can share that Absolutely. story. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Just like you said, you don't hear that no. story and people should hear those stories. And yeah, I, yeah. yeah. It's, and thank you for creating the platform because this, this is what community looks like. Some of us have yeah. some things to share and, and some other people create the space to share. That's, that's right? the reason that's I community. started it. Yeah. And like, I'm looking around here and there's a lot of people and I'm, I would like to hear their stories. They probably yeah. have a 
bunch of stories. Yeah. Beautiful stories. You know, the other, that's the other reason why we're here, Pete. You Man, see a lot might, of great diversity. This a great place to do field podcasts. This is a school. Yes. Yeah. This, to me, this is, a, this is an open classroom and everybody's learning from everybody. Yeah. Whereas the Desert Museum might have this mission of education and all mm -hmm. that. But if you don't pay $15 to go through the gate, they don't care if you learn or not. They only care for you if you go in. Mm -hmm. But they continue to talk about this idea of conservation and we are preserving. No, you, you have one mountain lion, one deer, one bear. You're not conserving anything. You think about it. That and way, honestly, yeah. even if you use that as an excuse for um, inspiring other people, because it is uh, many times an effective education way, mm -hmm. to me is they are doing the very comfortable and profitable profitable so let's not forget the bottom that the, line the desert museum is a business is it not is. a is not a, conser a conservation organization for the good of the community it's a business that business. charges you to go there to buy in the gift shop to eat in their place to mm -hmm. you know to consume um and if they were so interested in inspiring people to live in harmony with nature they would be telling us about rainwater harvesting. Mm -hmm. They would be teaching people about crops and they would be uh, uh, maybe more opportunities throughout the community. You wouldn't have to travel for 30 minutes to get there. There's no transportation. So if you don't have a car, you don't get to go to the Desert Museum. There's no bus there, right? So that's why I love Las Milpitas, mm -hmm. this, this community farm, these 10 acres. These 10 acres of community farm uh, that are owned by the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona, mm -hmm. it is open. Everybody's coming through the gate for free. Everybody's working in their plots. Everybody's learning from each other. Uh, and you and I just walked in and are speaking under a tree, right? Nobody has yeah. come and asked what are we doing or anything. And so this to me feels more like a community that I it want to be does. part of. Actually, this is the first time visiting here. I, I walked this path yeah. to Santa Cruz where just west of the santa mm -hmm. cruz river here uh for our listeners it's just like right there i can see the river you but can see uh, the river, yeah. i just came in and i was like do i check in mm -hmm. do i have to write my name down no it's a totally different vibe yeah. yeah do i have to like talk to somebody before i enter yeah no gentleman said come here i'll give you a tour yeah, i'm exactly. like oh my gosh i love this place already yeah, already exactly i want to be part of this place yeah but and yeah, the opportunity definitely. that it provides, right? Yeah, like yeah. start, bring some grandmas, bring some kids. There is an area for kids, so they don't have That's to. That's a nice ramada for my next workshop. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of space. Many times groups from the U of A invite me to speak to their students. Yeah. And I say, I'll speak to your students, but I'll meet you in Las Milpitas. Don't take me to a room where I'm under white lights in a closed room yeah. where I'm the one speaking in front of everybody. Let's let's all go walk around and well, put I'm our hands in the dirt. Well, I'm glad we met here for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. And things happen for a reason. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. and I would love to. I love to share this space with others, for you to then do your thing. Yeah. You know, uh, it is part of our community. This is where we live, and again. This is a representation of the Tucson community working together. Mm -hmm. This is not a representation of some people profiting out of somebody else's interests or passions. Oh, my name is Steve.
technology. Well, to. this same kid, you know, mm -hmm. that grew up wanting to be a scientist, mm -hmm. that wanted to uh, uh, study wildlife. I grew up outdoors. I, I had a great opportunity to grow up surrounded by nature with the influence of people who enjoyed nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was a kid, you know, one of the things, one, the other dream, the less real dream was that I wanted to be a soccer player. Uh, so running was always there, but it was always kind of like a sports thing. Mm -hmm. um, I played for many years uh, and I got injured. And so I decided not to go back, but I kept running. Okay. And through running, I started running more on trails. I used to running trails with my dad when I was 10 years old or younger out there in Zacatecas. So running has always been there. Mm -hmm. But you know, as you mature, you start seeing things with a bigger, more profound impact. And I felt how through running, one, I go running here in the Tucson mountains mm -hmm. and I feel I'm with my dad all the time. Oh, nice. So that is just a, a personal story connection. You know, I send photographs to my brother and he even says, oh, that looks like the place we used to go or that's so familiar. And I'm like, yeah. Sometimes I go running just for that, just for the memories. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, while learning as a conservationist, as a scientist, learning about the impact on native communities uh, of the removal of, of, of the stolen lands and, and mm -hmm. removing people from places, I also realized that there's many things we don't know and there is a very serious crisis of murder and missing indigenous women which connect to the conservation movement, which connect to oil and gas uh, extraction and mining extraction, which connect to a lot of violence on indigenous communities. And I feel that we cannot achieve uh, goals of conservation or addressing climate change if we don't address those of social justice in the communities mm -hmm. where they live. So through social media, I started connecting with groups like Native Women Running mm -hmm. that were raising awareness through running and connecting with other indigenous communities. And I felt that as a personal calling, you know, mm. like, a, like, I mean, that's where I come from. Again, I, it is my indigeneity saying, I'm connected to this issue. Even if I don't have family members who went through that, there is a broader history. We're waiting, we're waiting. There is a broader history that I can use with my voice, with my experience. There's people who listen to me. Why not also share that? There's people in the conservation world that live that, that um, to hear what I have to say, maybe they need to hear about this. So through running, I started connecting with other groups, learning about it, becoming more vocal um, about it, and getting to know different people. And so that has now become my community of runners, my community of friends, most of whom are indigenous, native runners. Mm -hmm. You have interviewed Marlinda yes, uh, before. Uh, people who are very inspiring and really elevating their voice to raise awareness and to connect with other communities. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that between that and feeling like I work and I live in a community has helped me connect more with those indigenous roots mm -hmm. than reading any books or doing any DNA tests, you know, like things that really don't don't give you anything. So it's through those life experiences. I've also learned to appreciate more my aunties, my grandmas to give credit 
to those leaders and those women who gave a lot of their life for me to where to right. to be where I am. Your ancestors. My ancestors, absolutely, absolutely. My dad is the only one of 14 kids who went to college. Wow. And so, yeah, I credit my dad being a doctor. He gave me this life. He raised me, all of these things. But I also credit my aunties sacrificing themselves for my dad to go to college. Right. So I've had the opportunity to connect these thoughts and express my gratitude to my aunties and say, thank you for what you did. Mm -hmm. Because what you did not only made it better for my dad, but it made it better for me and my brother. We have a better life. We have, a, we have the life we have because of the sacrifices that you mm -hmm. all did. And that's acknowledging mm -hmm. my roots. Mm -hmm. You know, right. the nationality doesn't matter. I really don't care about my last name, uh, but I, I care about those connections. I care about the food. I care about uh, how we learn and, and, and I miss them dear, dearly. And through running, I connect with those memories too. Yeah, definitely. I wish I could run with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, beautiful. and that's the other part. It's sometimes it's offering those runs for those who don't run anymore. Right. Either they're alive or not, either they were taken or not, is putting a little bit of yourself out there to mm -hmm. honor those who cannot do it, who are not around to do it. Right. We at the tribe, I'm with the Yaki tribe. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, um, the butter, uh, Hummingbird. A little hummingbird, yeah. Messengers. Yes. We have a a run. I don't know if you've heard of it. It comes around every four or five years. From there to here. From Sonora, yeah. Ocho Pueblos, to here. It's going to happen this year. Oh, is it happening? So this is a little insider information for people. Nice. That's why you have to listen to the podcast. Yes. Uh, there's already talks, and I believe it's this year. Perfect. It's going to happen in the fall, and it takes place every four years or so, and it starts in Sonora. Yeah. They track the, the, the path that our yeah. ancestors, Yaquis, yes. from the Pueblos, usually it's in Vicam, they'll run mm -hmm. all the way up through Nogales, traditional ways through here. I participated once. Great. Um, but I didn't do the whole trek. This year, I want to do the whole trek. Mm. Even though I can't run, fully run, I can kind of like jog short distances but um it's just a fact of participating yeah, but yeah wouldn't it be awesome if you could join us on that run i will follow the podcast and find out the date and do my best yeah, I, yeah. I, i'm gonna participate for sure uh, as soon as they square things away but um i believe it's coming this fall hopefully and uh it's a whole week or more yeah. camping out yeah. sleeping like this yeah. under the stars tent every day you wake up cook your own meals mm -hmm. and food and mm -hmm. pack up the thing and you start running running yeah. running all the way till you get to our here tucson yeah yeah, yeah. i think you've seen it before i, I think, think um, so yeah and i've seen some film by alejandro I think the, um, yeah there's footage and yeah. films out there but yeah. that'd be awesome if, yeah Maybe you could join us. I would love to. Because here's the other thing, and I'm so glad you're describing all this. This is what shows that running is so much more than just running. It is. Running is bringing community together. Running is being uh, with relatives and sharing and uh, learning from the land. Uh, and it's a ceremony. Yes. You know? uh, and that is the other part that I have personally connected. That 
it is a physical thing for your health, mental health, mm -hmm. um, physical health. But it is also an offering. It is also a, a, a way of prayer, a way of so forming community. Mm -hmm. and, and this type of historical events, prayer runs, mm -hmm. um, are very meaningful. So thank mm -hmm. you for the invitation. And yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it in mind for sure. I'll, we'll definitely keep you and the listeners. Uh, hopefully, I just heard about it last week that uh, talks and meetings. Hey, we're going to yes. do the, the run and put it together and everything. So... I definitely want to be a part of it this year. I'm going to do the whole thing. Yes. I'll probably do little How tiny long is increments. It? Do you know? The miles? Yeah. Oof. Might be like uh, some 60. How much is it from the border to... Yeah, I was thinking maybe 200 miles. Yeah. Oh, so, or am I thinking kilometers? No, 200 miles. From the Nogales to the Vicam. Vicam is... Yeah. Two, I think it's like... Maybe a little more. A little over 200 and some yeah. miles. Yeah. I talked about it. I did a, a a little podcast, you know, to listen to it. Mm -hmm. But um, if we do that, I want to document it. Yes. So I want to document it with um, camera, definitely audio, podcasting, yeah. and share stories. Maybe even record the whole thing. We're on our second day and running, yes. and I just woke up. Sergio's here. here How did go. you feel? I yep. feel oh, it rained or it, it's too hot. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to capture all of that yeah. experience. So I, I think it would be nice. Uh, and if I can run a little bit, uh, I'll run a little bit. But yeah, it, it's connecting to your ancestors. It's, yeah. it's prayer, it's ceremony yes. when you're running through the desert by yourself. It's mm -hmm. just quiet. Mm -hmm. There's no sound. Maybe a bird. Yep. The wildlife. Stop. Listen. Just be. Yeah. Just be there. Yeah. It's so beautiful. But yeah. But um, I think we are done. We've been talking for over an hour, Sergio. Yeah. Unless I missed anything, or uh, you're welcome to come back to the podcast uh, yeah. for another episode, or maybe we can do something in the fall. Maybe we can work something here at yeah. Las Mentitas, and um, totally. maybe we can do another workshop. Or if you have any suggestions or ideas that you want to share with the listeners or anyone else that maybe would be a good person I can interview for the podcast, Yeah. if you have someone in mind... Um, just let me know, and maybe we can meet here again. Yeah, and uh, we. Can, I would uh, love to have that opportunity. Can, uh, bring your group. Just have the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I love. I don't even work here, and I love opening the doors for other people to come yeah. and see it. Um, they know me here, it's and beautiful. They always know um, I'm inviting people. But oh, this is open. I hope the community can come and visit. Yeah. Um, and also. This is a, a, an example, a model to replicate in your okay. backyard. You know, like you don't have to have the big production. It can be a small plot. You can have it in mm -hmm. your school. You can have it different places. But it is a good opportunity to come and see uh, how some of the uh, community knowledge comes together and how it's shared. And it's very inspiring. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. Definitely want to go home and garden. I think we can end it there, Sergio. Um, thank you for thank you. coming on the podcast, and um, you're welcome to come back anytime. Gracias. It was beautiful so stories. Much. I love those stories, and I'm sure they'll thank impact you. a lot of people and um, make a difference. Yeah, and you're making a difference. Thank you for the podcast. I listen to it, and I oh, yeah. I love the style of the stories and the community members, I, and yeah, I it tell, keeps us connected. I tell them I'm not... I just needed a, a, a platform to yes, share people's exactly, stories and exactly. get them going. Yeah. We're not here. You can always 
go back and listen to Sergio's stories, listen to other people's stories, and the future generations. Hey, you know what? Oh, this yeah. is, listen to this. Yeah. And it is oral knowledge. Yeah, and we needed a platform, so I'm just hoping it just grows more and we have more guests. I'm so glad you I, have it. I really want to do a program where we interview more elders. Okay. Or aunties, and they yes. have knowledge, plant knowledge. Like yes. this is this is the exactly. This is a you know espasote. This yes. is you, you cook this, and this is good for your gastro. Yeah. You know, I want them to yeah. talk. I want them to speak, and I want to record it. Yeah. So yeah. they'll have it forever. Yeah. And I want to do projects like that. I love we it. We could do that here. Yes, I think this is a this is a very good place for that, and I know that they are open to bringing other knowledge holders. So if you have Mm -hmm. um, elders that want to share, there's a space here and everybody's welcome. Yeah. Perfect. Las Milpitas de Cottonwood on the Santa Cruz River. Yes, Las Milpitas. Thank you.